Right, good to see everybody out now. Let's go ahead and get started. Page 364 at the bottom. Stupid 
just Jesus. Amen. What a place. What a place. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to going there. Amen. Uh, let me make some announcements tonight. We've got a lot in front of us. Welcome to the last day of November, and uh, we'll be waking up in the morning to December. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, boy, it came quick, didn't it? Mighty quick. Won't be long, y'all be having to pick out my present, gift that you're going to give me for Christmas. And I'm, I'm really praying it'd be big, big and shiny, expensive. <laughs> I'm trying to get some of y'all to smile tonight, amen. <laughs> huh? Yeah, that'd be all right. Uh, as far as our announcements go tonight, this coming Sunday, of course, we'll have morning service as usual, Sunday school morning service. But then that afternoon service at 5 o'clock is our Christmas party. And we'll be having that in lieu of our regular scheduled service out here. And what we're going to do is we're asking everybody to bring finger foods or drink, maybe a dessert. And uh, we're just going to have some good fellowship in the Lord and they're doing white elephant gifts, whatever all that means, and incurs you. Uh, Y'all know more about all that stuff than I do. And uh, if you bring kids, they're asking that you do let the kids bring some little gifts under $5, and they, they can exchange and all like that. But that'll be this coming Sunday. And then as far as our regular, our remainder of services, uh, this year, Christmas is on Sunday, that particular Sunday on the 25th. We will not be having Sunday school, but we will be having morning service and no evening service. And then going into January the 1st, we will be having uh, full services. And then uh, that evening, we're going to be having our annual chili cook-off. And so that's just the schedule, just to keep you abreast of everything that's going on. And uh, as far as prayer requests go tonight, we've already got a lot on our prayer list. There's a lot of sickness going around right now. 
And uh, we need to pray for Ashley Barrett, Alan Sue Williams, the Jane Askew family, Sister Jane's mother passed away yesterday morning. Need to pray for her and her family. Inez Bennett, Linda Walker, Debbie's sister, Debbie Walter. And this coming month, the month of December, we're praying that we always pray for a particular preacher and his church. And uh, we'll be praying this the whole month of December for Brother Mark Biddy and Harvest Baptist Church. So remember them when you pray. How about your prayer request tonight? Anybody got anybody? Uh-huh. Let's continue to pray for little Will Satterfield that God would continue being with him. Yes, ma'am. All your three years old. Wow. Anything else, Mr. Lynn? Miss Davy. What's her name? Really? What's wrong with her? Anything for Tommy? Anything else tonight? All right. While she plays, let's all gather around these altars and pray for these requests that God would meet every need of them. He knows what needs to be done.
have any missionary offering tonight, you can bring it at this time. my mother and brother Ron Bagley we need to continue praying for them I carried mom to quick care uh, yesterday is it on now brother Chris? I carried mom to quick care yesterday and had an interesting visit with the doctor that came in the room he was a uh, I liked him he was short and he came in the room and and uh he looked at me and he said, how you doing? I said, I'm a blessed man. He said, who blesses you? I said, Jesus Christ does. He said, oh, the only, one and only true living God. I said, yes, sir, Jesus Christ. Well, we started talking and, and uh, he, he's a Christian himself. And, and he asked me, he said, do you go to a Bible-believing church? I said, I do. I believe I do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, really do. He said, I tell you what, we need to pray for our churches. He said, they are getting in a mess today. He said, we, our churches are in a fix. And uh, so we talked on a little bit, and then I mentioned to him, I said, well, matter of fact, I said, I'm a pastor myself of Murrayville Baptist Church. He said, oh, the devil's really after you then. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, he is. <clears throat> and uh, he said, well, just stay strong. I said, well, thank you for the encouragement. And it was just an interesting, interesting conversation with a doctor of medicine and, and him, him asking if I was a member of a Bible-believing church. That, that just struck a good chord with me. And, uh, and by the way, we are Bible believers. Amen. Amen. Oh, Mom. Okay. A mom's in better shape than I am. <clears throat> she's got she's got a upper respiratory uh, congestion, and they put her on an antibiotic for that. So, mom's doing good. All right, we're going to finish up Acts chapter five tonight. If you've got your study sheets with you, and uh, been working hard on this one this week, and trying to get it. Try, there's a lot going on in Acts chapter five. We've already seen some amazing things happen. You remember at the very beginning of chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are judged by God, and they both drop dead right there in the church house. And, uh, and then they're hauled out to the graveyard and buried in, in judgment of God upon them. But now we come to the, the ending of chapter 5, and there's a lot of action going on. We're going to seeing many different scenes unfold as the chapter progresses and, and winds up. Uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at our study sheets together. Our Father, tonight, Lord, we, we're a blessed people, Lord, to be able to just call upon the name of Jesus. 
And Lord, as we do tonight, what an honor it is to meet together with these dear people, Lord, in this room. I pray that for a little while that, Lord, you'd open our hearts and our, our spirits to the scriptures. And Lord, may they do a great work within all of our hearts and our lives. We sure thank you, Lord, for the opportunities of life. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to pray and just talk to you, Lord. And Father, I add your favor and your blessings to everything said and done tonight. For it's in the wonderful, matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray and ask. And all of God's people said, Amen. This newly formed body of believers called the church has enjoyed the miraculous blessings of Jesus Christ for only a short while. She is just a few months old, and yet in this relatively short span of time, 8,000 Jews have turned their hearts to Jesus Christ in an astounding display of the power of gospel preaching. This amazing movement caused outward persecution to begin from the highest ranks of the Jews' religious, Jewish religious hierarchy. The main spokesmen, Peter and John, have been ordered not to preach nor teach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore in Jerusalem. Without any reservations, they pray for God's favor that they may continue to boldly proclaim the only name by which men can be saved. We read about this in Acts 4, 29. It says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. We still need to be praying that prayer today. The people who are being saved are experiencing a drastic change in their hearts through the new relationship they're experiencing with Jesus Christ. This change is manifesting itself among the believers and they are supportive of each other and caring for anyone who is in need. The church is strong and flourishing in every aspect. An amazing truth is realized as the early church has studied, when God is blessing, Satan will try to disrupt, distort, and destroy those blessings as quickly as possible. Can I get an amen right there? His outward attempt to disrupt the preaching of the gospel has clearly not worked, so he moves quickly inside the ranks of the church and finds a married couple who he can tempt and manipulate through their deceptive hearts. The husband and wife team concoct a lie that is immediately, immediately disclosed and dealt with by the Holy Ghost. Too much is at stake to allow the enemy any foothold, and the church is quickly purged of the corruption before it could spread any further. In 1988, I started a church in my hometown of Waycross, Georgia. I secured a storefront building and began preaching the gospel in this local assembly. I was young, zealous, and loved the place God had provided. I would work around the building, cleaning and making sure everything was just right for the next service. I was outside washing down the parking lot one day, and a preacher came jogging past the building, and we spoke to each other. I will never forget what he said to me as he ran by the building. He said, if you get it that clean on the inside, you will be doing a great work. Now, I believe the building God's people meet in should be clean, but the most important cleaning project on God's list of to-dos is cleaning the inward hearts of His people. 
God immediately cleans his church of its inward corruption to stop the advances of the enemy. Once these two devilish attacks are resolved, the church is now ready to continue in its mission of proclaiming the victorious death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. First thing that we want to consider in verses 12 through 16 of this chapter is the blessings that continue. It said, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about under Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. During the building of the original temple in Jerusalem, King Solomon had the honor of being the chosen king to direct and oversee his construction. The building was beyond comparison to any other structure in its day. As Solomon's father, King David, proclaimed the house that was to be built in Jerusalem and named the house of God was to be exceeding magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. The main structure of the building compound was the temple itself, which housed the Ark of the Covenant. In front of the temple was a porch with steps leading up to the entrance of the temple, and it was given the name of Solomon's porch. The porch was a covered structure and a main gathering place at the temple site. The striking thing about this particular gathering is that these apostles were so bold as to assemble at the hub of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. They had been commanded to cease in their efforts of proclaiming the name of Jesus, and yet they boldly gather at the main place of Jewish religious activity. The recent events involving the death of Ananias and Sapphira caused great fear among the people of Jerusalem, and they became very apprehensive to join themselves with this local assembly of believers. The text then states, and believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. This seems to be contradictory statements, but it isn't. When someone gets saved, they are added to the body of believers by a work of the Holy Spirit. We read about this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, where it says this, For as the body, speaking of the body of Christ, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all, all made to drink into one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. And then Romans 12, 5, we read these words. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Once someone is saved, one of the steps of following the Lord is church membership. 
This is not a matter of joining a club or an organization, but rather it is a personal thing between believers and Jesus Christ. God has a specific place called a local assembly that he wants every believer to assemble with for the purpose of them growing and serving. Church membership is a matter of God's leading and prompting. God leads his people to the area and place where he wants them to serve and grow. The placing of different believers within the individual local assemblies is a work of God. Now, I believe this tonight. I believe every one of us have been particularly placed in this local assembly by God for his purpose. I believe that. I believe that's how God works. I was living down in Waycross, Georgia. Never heard of Murrayville Baptist Church. And God, through his miraculous workings in my life and the life of this church, put us together. And that's how God arranges things. Uh, where are we at? 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 18 through 20, says this. says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body. Speaking of the purpose and importance of a believer being a part of a local assembly, Paul wrote these words in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15. It says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for this is the reason that he gave this group of, of preachers and teachers. He said, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Now, I believe this also. I believe that the place that God places every one of his children is a place where he is designed for that particular person as a believer in Christ to begin growing in their faith, and becoming all that God wants them to be. Then, then we read on tonight. It says, For a child of God to properly grow in their faith and function in the capacity God has purposed for them, the place they assemble with other believers is vital. Church membership is important and not to be taken lightly or casually by believers. In Hebrews 10, 25, uh, these words are written, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching. The local church in Jerusalem is gaining ground and being built under the watchful eye of Jesus Christ. At the outset of church history, 
the leaders are of the original 12 Jewish apostles, and the believers are Jewish. Because of this Jewish heritage, signs and wonders are being manifested among the people, and many people are being healed. Being healed does not necessarily mean that they are saved. The healing is simply a sign to the Jews that what these apostles are preaching is the truth of God. Remember 1 Corinthians 1, 22, and we've got to remember this particular thing all the way through the study of the book of Acts. The Jews require a sign. They were, the Jewish nation was founded upon signs. You remember the very first sign that was ever given to the, to the nation of Israel was with Moses. He was told to put his hand in his, in his uh, coat. Pulled it out, it was lepers. Put it back in, it was healed. And that was how the nation of Israel was born. They were born in signs. And so Jews require a sign. You remember Thomas, he told Jesus, he said, unless I see that, that the wounds in your hands, unless I see the, the gash in your side, I will not believe. And Jesus told him, he said, you believe because you've seen Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So the Jews require this sign. There's many sick people coming into Jerusalem hoping that the shadow of Peter would just pass over them and heal the sick people. But it says that every one of them are healed by the Lord. The situation in Jerusalem is causing quite a stir. The surrounding cities are now pouring into Jerusalem and the city streets are being filled with sick people, including people who were devil-possessed. All of them are being healed by the apostles and people are continuing to be saved. Now another scene unfolds in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, 18, the boiling of contention. It says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. What is happening is getting out of hand in the eyes of the high priest and Sadducees. They're filled with indignation. The word indignation means to be hot or fervent with jealousy. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines it as extreme anger mingled with contempt, disgust, or abhorrence. These religious Jewish leaders are mad. Their tempers are boiling with extreme anger, so they apprehend the apostles and throw them into the common prison. The common prison was a public place where criminals would be kept until a hearing could be held. It was basic in its construction and usually of a dirt floor to further the discomforts of the prisoners held there. People from outside could visibly see the prisoners, and disgrace was the intent. The Sadducees were a heretical sect of the Jewish religion. They were a religio-political group, meaning they kept a close association with the Roman ruling class and the religious rulers of the Jews. They were very powerful and wealthy and considered themselves to be better than the common man. Jesus had warned his disciples of their teachings and their doctrines. In Matthew 16, 12, 
It said, Then understood they how that he, Jesus, bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in anything of the supernatural realm or miraculous in nature. That's why they called them sad, you see. Anyway, Acts 23 verse 8 says this, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. The miracles being accomplished by the apostles among the sick did nothing to impress the Sadducees. The only thing concerning them was the powerful preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. So, along with the high priest, they have the apostles securely incarcerated, or so they thought. Now we come to the bewildering conflict. We read these words, 19 through 25, where it says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. And said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with them, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. God is on a mission, and His plans are far more important than any carefully devised plans of man. God's preachers have been placed in prison by man, and God needs them tending to His business somewhere else. So, without any great display of power, the Lord dispatches an angel to open the prison and let His people go. It is reminiscent of the book of Exodus where God wanted His people to let go from Egyptian bondage and set free for His purposes. In that account, God did display amazing power with ten plagues before His people were allowed passage from Egypt. Now, without any fanfare to attract attention, God simply sends an angel to open a door. Either way, with fanfare or none at all, God's plans will be accomplished and the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Even when there is no great dynamic accompanying a miracle, the accomplishment of God's plans will still get people's attention. All the religious leaders are astounded when their imprisoned preachers are missing. Then they hear the horrific news. In verse 25, then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom he put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. These low-class fishermen are again standing in the hub of Jewish religious activities teaching the Word of God. This is totally unacceptable and they see it as a defiance against their authority. Now, they stand in doubt of how this movement seems unstoppable 
even at their command. Now we want to consider the breadth of concern. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Every leader they can find is now involved, and they quietly bring the apostles to appear before their senate hearing. They make sure this is done peaceably, for fear that any violent act against these men would break out in a riot resulting in their death by stoning. They question their actions, but they never ask how they were able to escape the prison. Their main concern is the doctrine being taught by these apostles and their insistence that their Jewish leaders are guilty of killing Jesus Christ. This same group of Jewish leaders was the ones who brought Jesus Christ to Pilate to be crucified. In John 19, verses 5 through 7, we read these words. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. The Jews answered them, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. He didn't make himself the Son of God. He was the Son of God. They are guilty, but they will assume no blame for any wrong. Their conscience has been seared to the point of no return, and they have deceived themselves. We read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 concerning the conscience. It says this, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Watch this. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 John 1, 8 says this, If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Our conscience is designed by God in a twofold manner. It will either accuse us or it will excuse us. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, we read about this. It said, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Watch this. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. That's what our consciences do. God deals with our conscience, and in our conscience we reason of what God's dealing with us about, and then we'll do one of two things. We'll We'll let the Spirit of God accuse us and make us better, or we'll excuse what we're doing in our conscience. And when we excuse what we're doing, what God's dealing with us about, when we excuse ourselves, we're on dangerous ground. 
Keeping our consciences active and truthful with God is the most important thing any child of God can do. When we quench the working of God in our conscience, we are damaging ourselves. God is always working in our lives to correct and guide us into the truth about ourselves. When we resist that work, we are damaging our consciences. Paul said this in Acts 23, 1. He said, And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Then he went in and said this, And herein do I exercise myself. I work at it. I, I practice this. I, I make sure that I'm, I'm doing everything I can to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. The amazing thing about the Jewish leader's concern about the blood of Jesus Christ is that the blood of Christ is the only thing that could purge their conscience if they would simply confess their wrong. Hebrews 9, 14, we read these powerful words. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We want to now consider the bold comeback. Remember these, these Jewish leaders have asked them, why are you still teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ? We commanded you not to do that. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also the, is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Peter and the apostles stand before these men without any regard for their own lives or any apology for their preaching. These Jewish leaders are guilty of having Jesus Christ crucified, no matter their piety or their seemingly guiltless consciences. What they have done is now between them and the God of heaven, who has raised up Jesus Christ as a prince and the savior of Israel. Now, we're going to consider this brainy counsel of a man by the name of Gamaliel. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. And look, they didn't repent. They were ready to kill somebody. And took counsel to slay them. That's how defiled their consciences are. Then stood there one up in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law had a reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space and said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished in all, even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. 
For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. Their first reaction is to kill these preachers of the gospel. But a man by the name of Gamaliel, a man of great reputation, stands up to reason with these offended and self-righteous men and warns them to be careful in the way they handle this situation. He reminds them of past movements which quickly dissolved after only a short time. His reasoning before them all is that if this movement is of men, it will not last. He then asserts that if God is the author of this sweeping change happening in Jerusalem, they will find themselves fighting against God. Finally, we come to the last portion, the last three verses of this chapter, the bizarre character. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders leave the scene apprehensive of what might happen with the men they had just beaten. And again, they command them to quit mentioning or speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. As these leaders walk away, a celebration breaks out among the bleeding and threatened apostles and they exhibit a character that still amazes today. They consider it a badge of honor to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Without any interruption or second thoughts, they daily go back to the temple and in various houses to continue preaching the name which is above every name, Jesus Christ. And they fulfill Luke 9, 23, which says, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Wow. Some, the church had one, one of the greatest starts of any, any institution that's ever been founded on earth. These men that we're reading about and studying are, should be our heroes and our examples of the faith. Amen. All right. We'll be dismissed and let the kids come in tonight. Thank you all for being here. I pray that.